Chris. Luke, let's have your Bibles go ahead and open up to the Gospel of Luke. That's in your New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke. Third book in the New Testament. We're going to be in chapter 19. Chapter 19. We're going to be reading verses 28 through 40. Luke 19, 28 through 40. If you don't have your Bible with you, it will be on the screen. You can follow along on the screen. And I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. We just uh, thank you for already just an amazing weekend and amazing time of worship this morning. God, we just, we just give you all the praise and glory. We thank you for what you're doing. We thank you, Father, for your spirit that is moving. And we just pray that your spirit will continue to move in this place. God, as we break open the word of God and as we study, I pray, Father, that you will uh, speak to us. I pray, God, that we will see that, uh, man, that you are the true king. Father, I pray that we will see Jesus for, for who he is and uh, for what he's done for us in light of who we are. And that we would see our need for Jesus. And I pray those things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So let me ask you guys a question. Have you ever heard the phrase or heard somebody say the phrase, expectations are up here, reality is down here, and everything else in the middle is disappointment? Now, I got to see there. Maybe you've never heard that phrase before, right? Expectations are up here, reality is down here, everything else is disappointment. And expectations, listen, expectations are funny things, okay? When we, expect, when we start to expect something, we count on it. Once we start counting on something to happen, we start to make plans. And, and if we're not careful, we even start to act as if it's already a two years, right? I bet you're expecting it again this year, right? So, so naturally, what we do then is because we're expecting it again, we do what? We go ahead and, yes, we spend the money. We spend the money. And then when the Christmas bonus doesn't come in, we're scrambling around, right, trying to uh, find extra money to, to make ends meet. And it made me think about, have you guys uh, remember Christmas Vacation, Bart Griswold? Well, isn't that a great, there's an epic, there's a classic uh, scene in that movie where Clark Griswold is expecting, what, a Christmas bonus, because that's what he's gotten and every single year. And then this year in the mail, uh, he got a year's subscription to some, something crazy. But it, what was it? Yeah, y'all are awesome, man. That's good. That's good. And, but he had already spent the money, right? He was already preparing for an uh, underground pool. And uh, it was just an epic scene. It's a classic case, right? Expectations up here. Reality down here. Everything in the middle is disappointment. A few years back, Robin, my wife, and I were coming home from her parents' house in West Virginia. We both were extremely tired. I was driving, and I was trying hard not to fall asleep. Robin was tired, and she was in no shape to be driving either. Uh, so I was desperate for some coffee. But listen, we are in the sticks of West Virginia, and there are no, there are no Starbucks. There's no Panera Breads. Uh, there's nothing like that. Uh, but luckily, through Robin's phone and her GPS, we were able to locate a coffee and more shop. Coffee and more shop, right? So, so I'm thinking, man, this is going to be awesome. I'm going to get a nice cup of coffee. But it said coffee and more, so I'm even more excited because I'm thinking, man, I'm going to get a brownie, right? I got a cookie. I'm going to get some type of sweet treat, man. So we pull into this place, and we walk into the front door, 
and immediately something just didn't feel right. It was kind of off, right? We walk in, and to our left and right are these black curtains that kind of act like as a, a doorway we walk through, and then we walk down this long hallway, right? When we get to the end of the long hallway, we, we arrive in this little kitchenette area, and I'm going to tell you, man, there was no barista there. There was no, hey, welcome to Coffee and More. There was no espresso machine. There was no, like, smell that flavor of coffee when you walk into a coffee shop, right? There was none of that. No, none of that. So we just kind of like, well, what's going on here? Um, and then finally, a woman comes out from the back with this strange look on her face. Rob and I are like, okay, what's going on here? And she says, can I help you? And we look at each other, and we're like, cup of coffee? Right? And we walk, and see, here's the thing you got to understand, man. On the counter was, like, just your, your Mr. Coffee, make, coffee Maker, like what we would have, right? And so she, she says, okay. And then she reaches over into the refrigerator and pulls out a canister of Folgers, right? Now, nothing against Folgers, man. I got no hate for, I love Folgers. I'll drink Folgers coffee, but my expectations were what? Right? Coffee and more. I'm thinking coffee shop. I'm thinking, like, Starbucks, like, level, right? Panera level. And she pulls out this can of Folgers, and Rob and I are like, ah, you know what, we'll pass, right? We'll pass on this. Come to find out, we did some research. Are you ready for this? Anytime you see a coffee and more shop in West Virginia, it is not coffee. It is a gambling joint, right? It's a gambling joint. They just disguise, yeah, they just disguise it under the name of coffee and more. So we, we, we were just, we walk in and think we're going to get a cup of coffee. No wonder she looked at us weird. She's like, well, coffee? Don't you want to come back here and spend some money? Right? Expectations, reality, everything in the middle is disappointment. And listen, that's what's happening in our story today. All right? So let's read that. Uh, Luke, Luke 20, 19, verses 28 through 40. This is what it says. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. This is Jesus, by the way. When he drew near to Bethpage in Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it, you shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away uh, and found it, just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they, sat on Je- they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. And as he was drawing near, already on the way, uh, down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. But some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And Jesus answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. The very stones would cry out. Listen, the triumphal entry is the, that of Jesus coming into Jerusalem uh, as what we know as Palm Sunday, the Sunday before Jesus dies on the cross. The story of the triumphal entry is one of the few incidences of Jesus' life that is recorded in all four of the New Testament Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. The triumphal entry takes place at the beginning of one of the most important holidays in the life of the Israelites, and that is the holiday of Passover. Passover. We talked about Passover a few weeks back, if you were here, uh, which means that there would have been thousands upon thousands of Israelites traveling from all over the place 
to Jerusalem as Jesus is riding in on this donkey. And this year, listen, this year, this Passover was different because there was a buzz in the air. All right, there was a buzz in the air, man. There was an excitement about Jesus. They were, who is this Jesus? Who is this man? All right, people had been hearing stories about miracles that Jesus had been performing. They had been hearing about how Jesus could, could uh, make the blind see. He could make the deaf hear. Uh, they, talk, they heard stories about how Jesus fed the 5,000. I mean, Jesus had just raised Lazarus from the dead right before all this happens. And, and people had been hearing those things, and, and Jesus' fame was spreading, and people were talking about him, and his followers were multiplying. And notice that this crowd of people were shouting in verse 38, they were shouting, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. And see, what they're doing, they are, they are quoting an Old Testament psalm, Psalm 118. Now, in Matthew's gospel, and Mark's gospel, and John's gospel, they add the word Hosanna at the beginning of that. Hosanna, blessed is the king who comes. Hosanna. And that word Hosanna means save now. And see, what we need to understand is that the Old Testament scriptures spoke about a Messiah. They spoke of a king that would come and deliver Israel and set them free. And so the buzz around town was that this, this, this could be it. This could be Jesus. Jesus could be this Messiah. Jesus could be this king. Because, see, the scripture, the Old Testament scripture said that this king, this Messiah, would come from the line and the lineage of King David. And we talked about King David a couple weeks ago. King David is the guy who slung the, the stone and killed the, a giant, Goliath the giant. Right, and so, so, so David was a war hero. He was a warrior-type king. David delivered his people from their enemies constantly, multiple times. And King David was from the tribe and lineage of Judah. Okay? And, and so, Scripture tells us that, uh, that Jesus is also from the tribe and lineage of Judah. And so, the king would come from the tribe of Judah. And so, everything is pointing forward to Jesus being the king, the Messiah. And what you have to understand is that in that period of time, uh, Rome was the dominant power. See, Rome, Rome ruled the known world. They, they, they were the people who oppressed the Israelites. And so the expectation for the Israelites was that, man, that this king, that Jesus would come in and that he would deliver them from Roman oppression. That Jesus would come in, man, with, with sword and with shield and with sling and whatever else they would have. And he would come in and he would free them. That was the expectation, that Jesus would be this warrior king like King David who would fight for them. Not only were they shouting Hosanna, but Scripture tells us that they cut branches from the trees and waved them in front of Jesus. And not just any branch, but they were what? Palm branches, right? And so if you're here today and this is all new to you and you're like, what do y'all call this Palm Sunday? That's why it's called Palm Sunday. It's because they waved palm branches in front of Jesus. And this is, this is how you treated a triumphal king. Right? But, but the text also says that they were throwing their, their cloaks on the road before Jesus. And this is very significant, okay? Think about it this way. How many of you guys uh, watch, like, the Oscars or the Grammys or things like that? Anybody watch those things? You can be honest. You can say you do in church, okay? It's okay. But what do they always have before those shows? They always have a Red carpet, right? Is that what you just said? Yeah, you know, you know. So they always have this red carpet event, and, and what do they do, man? A limousine pulls up, and somebody famous gets out, and they step onto the red carpet, right? 
Anytime that there is a dignitary or a president from another country or anybody that flies into the United States and they fly into Ronald Reagan Airport, they always step off the plane onto a what? Red carpet, right? Because somebody famous, somebody important uh, ha ha has arrived, and so they give them that type of treatment. And so what they're doing here in, in Jesus is they are laying out the red carpet. They are laying their cloaks down on the road, and it is a sign of submission. They are saying, yes, Jesus, we, we see that you are the king. You're the one who's going to deliver us from Roman oppression. And so not only are they proclaiming with their voices, blessed, Hosanna, blessed is the king, but they are showing the, by the action, by taking off their coats, that he is going to be the king. And so this was the expectation on Jesus. But in all their excitement, they missed something very important. Look at verse 30. Jesus said, go into the village in front of you. Where on entering, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. In every gospel account, the story uh, of this story, there is a lot of emphasis placed on getting the donkey. Why? Why is Jesus and his disciples so focused in getting uh, a donkey? Why do they go to all this trouble to get a donkey? One reason is because Jesus is fulfilling a prophecy that was prophesied centuries before this ever took place in Zechariah 9.9, if you want to write that down. Zechariah 9.9 says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation as he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of, the foal of a donkey. So first, Jesus is fulfilling prophecy. He's fulfilling scripture. Secondly, listen, we can't miss the irony in this, okay? Zechariah's prophecy says, Behold, your king coming humble. Humble and mounted on a donkey. And that's the point. See, it's, it's, just, it's just like that popular show, Undercover Boss. Anybody ever watch that, right? Where, where the boss of an organization or a company comes in and he's disguised as one of his workers, right? Jesus is the ultimate undercover boss. Right? Listen, no triumphant king Okay, whose purpose is to, to bring war, who's coming uh, to bring war is going to ride in on a donkey. It's not going to happen, right? A triumphant king is going to come riding in on a war horse, right? You, you, your kings do not come in and, and, and overthrow uh, governments or entities like Rome uh, riding in on a donkey, but they come riding in and on a war horse. You see, and the expectation was that Jesus uh, would fight for them, that he would be the one to kind of lead this charge against Rome, and he was going to fight for them. And when Jesus did not meet those expectations, when he came riding in on a donkey, right, that the praise and the royal treatment that Jesus received on Sunday, this day, on Sunday, just a few days later, the, the, the crowd would turn and the shouts would be crucified, crucified. See, expectation, reality disappointment, right? That, that, that's, that's what they're experiencing right there. You see, the point is that Jesus doesn't come riding in with the power that the world expects, right? Jesus isn't like other legends. He's not like King David with a sword and a sling, or he's not like Braveheart who leads his people in the battle. Jesus doesn't come in uh, to, to bring judgment, right? John three seventeen says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. See, see, Jesus did not come to bring judgment. He came to bear judgment. 
Do you realize that? Right? Jesus came to bear our judgment, the judgment that you and I are supposed to get, the judgment for our sin, our rebellion against God, the way we've turned our back on God. We are supposed to, to, to receive that. But Jesus comes and he bears the judgment in our place. Jesus on the cross took the full wrath of God. Jesus paid the penalty for our sin so that you and I could be forgiven through Jesus Christ. Amen? See, man, Jesus, Jesus defeated our greatest enemy. Our greatest enemy is not government. Our greatest enemy is not somebody out there, right? Our greatest enemy is, is sin and death. And Jesus defeated those things. Jesus took our greatest enemy, and he defeated them. See, the Israelites, man, they had a limited view of Jesus. Their expectation was that Jesus would be this warrior king, that he would be the king of Israel. But Jesus came to be the king of our salvation. See, if, see, if Jesus had come to be this warrior king, and he would have came in and busted up some Romans' heads, right, and took over, right, he, he would have, he would have, he would have, he would have brought freedom to a few people for just a few years, right? But what Jesus comes and does is he brings freedom to the whole world by dying on a cross for our sins. That's, that's amazing. He came to be the king of our lives. And the question for us this morning is, do we seek Jesus for who he really is? Do we have false expectations of Jesus in our life? Do we believe that if we come to Jesus that Jesus is going to make life easy for us, that it's going to be a rose, you know, bed of roses and things are going to be great? Do we believe that Jesus is going to just kind of be our, our answer man and whatever we ask for, Jesus is going to give it to us? Or is Jesus the true king of our life? That's the question we've got to answer today. Is Jesus the king of our life? And if not, how do we treat him as king? Two things I want to give you, okay? How do we treat Jesus as king? The first thing we do is we worship him. We worship him. Listen, do you realize that we were created by God to worship and serve him? But because of our sin, our hearts have become like little idol factories. And what we end up doing is we end up crowning, okay, other things in our life. We end up crowning something or someone else as king rather than King Jesus. Verse 39, the Pharisees asked Jesus to, they said, rebuke your disciples for worshiping, for wor worshiping him. And Jesus responds by saying that these stones, these stones will cry out if they were silent. See, what we have to understand is the Pharisees, man, they were the, they were the religious spiritual gurus of Jesus' day. I mean, they knew the scripture frontward and backwards, right? This, this is what they, 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 they knew everything, man. And what Jesus is saying is he's saying, listen, creation, that which is lifeless knows life when it sees it, and you who are alive don't. They become so hard-hearted, they become so self-righteous because they they, they depended on their own, their own righteousness that they missed the true king. You see, the Pharisees, they sought affirmation. They sought validation. They sought self-worth through their knowledge. And it puffed them up. That's what they try to control, right? Being controlled by having the knowledge. And when Jesus comes onto the scene and he shakes things up, right? It, it, they're not happy about it. And they miss the true king. And listen, that's a danger for all of us here, right? We, we all desire for our lives to have significance. We all desire for our lives to have meaning. But rather than look 
to Jesus for that meaning, we look for affirmation and self-worth and value and joy and satisfaction from someone else or something else. And when we do that, we are crowning those things as king. Right? We worship and serve them. We, we, we crown them as king because we want to be in control of our own lives. And the sad truth is, is that when we end up, uh, we end up serving these things, we end up being controlled by the very thing we've crowned. Do you realize that? Like we, we do this because we want to be in control. I want to be in charge. But when we crown these things as king, we end up being controlled by them. So who, who, who or what is your king? Is it success? Is it, is it your job that you're living for? Is it the next big promotion, the next big raise? Right? Do you believe that that is what your significance comes from? It comes from your job? Does your validation come from your job? Does your self-worth and self-value come from your job? Is that where you get your satisfaction? Listen, if it is, guess what? You're not in control. You're not in control. Because listen, even if you do get the job, even if you do get the raise, even if you do get the promotion, because, because that's where you find your significance in, that's because where you find your validation in, guess what? You'll always be wanting what? More. So you're not in control. And then say you don't get the job, say you don't get the promotion, say you don't get those things, right? What ends up happening is you get crushed because you've crowned it as king. You've crowned it as king. What, what, about, what about appearance, man? Do you get your uh, self-worth and self-value from appearance, right? If so, guess what? You're not in control. Because, listen, you will always be comparing yourself to somebody else. And comparison, man, is a trap. You'll always, you'll always be discontent. You'll never be happy. You'll always see somebody that's prettier or looks better or, you know, you know whatever, whatever it is for you. Right? I gotta have that six pack abs, you know, whatever whatever the case may be, right? And then and then the sad thing is, listen, as you get older, guess what happens? Gravity takes over, your body starts to change, right? And that and listen, if if, if you've crowned that as king, it's gonna crush you, right? It's gonna crush you. Listen, man, I, I, I realized a few years back I was I was getting my hair cut and Baron, she cuts my hair. She's the lady at Jay's barbershop. And she had the clippers and she was like right here beside my ear. I said, whoa, Baron. I said, what are you doing? I thought she was trying to cut my ear or something. She says, no, you got ear hair. I said, I said, ear hair? What? What? And then she's like, yeah, you got nose hair too? I'm like, nose hair? I'm, sorry, buddy. I'm like, this is all new to me. Like, what's going on here? So your body changes, right? You start, things start happening, right? You just, it's just the way it is. And so I'm just, just letting you know that's, that's not the way it should be, right? Or, or maybe for you, listen, maybe for you, it's, it's, if I could just find Mr. or Mrs. Wright. Man, if I could just find Mr. and Mrs. Wright, then I would be happy. If I could just find them, man, then my life would be complete. Well, listen, say you do find Mr. and Mrs. Wright. Guess what? It's not going to be long before you realize and find out just how messed up they are, right? That they're just as messed, that they're just as messed up as you are, that they need Jesus just as much as you do, right? But listen, if that's what, you are, if that's what you're basing your, your joy on and your satisfaction and your self-worth and self-value, if that's what you're basing it on, listen, when you get into that relationship and you, you get married and you start living with that person and you see, man, they're just as messed up as me, guess what? Right? You're going to be disappointed. You're going to be crushed. And if you don't find Mr. and Mrs. Wright, you're going to be crushed, right? Because, again, that's what you've put your, your significance in. Do, do you see where I'm going with this? 
Like whatever you crown as king, you become a slave to. You're not in control. It's controlling you. And it's crushing you. Now, I, I can get real with you, man. I, I can be honest with you this morning. I'm always real with you. I'm always honest with you. But, but, but for me, you want to know what my, you know, you want to know what's king for me? You want to know what I struggle with on a daily basis, on a weekly basis? People pleasing. People pleasing. Right? I desire affirmation, man. I want, I want people to like me. I want to be liked by other people. Listen, I, I have disappointed my family to bend over backwards to please other people. Am I in control? No. No, and then all it takes is one criticism. One, one word. Negative word. And it's crushing me. Right? It's crushing me. I know this is depressing. <laughs> but listen, we are continually being oppressed by the things we've crowned. And listen to me, Jesus is the only king. Jesus is the only king that will not oppress you. He's the only king that will not crush you. Listen, the gospel good news sets us free. It liberates us from feeling the need to find our significance, our self-worth, our value, validation. Anything, man, in other things or other people, it sets us free from those things. Because the gospel says that because of Jesus Christ, you have significance. You don't have to go searching somewhere else for it because God loves you through Jesus Christ. And that's all you need. I know that's hard for us to believe sometimes. That's why we've got to preach this message to ourselves every day. I tell you guys, man, wake up and say to yourself in the mirror, I am a child of God. I don't need to find my self-worth and self-value and other things. I've got it already in Jesus Christ. Amen, yes. We've got to believe that, man. We've got to live that. We don't have to try to control our lives, man. We're not in control, right? We're not in control. Listen, I love this uh, part in the story where Jesus gets on the colt that has never been ridden before, right? Now, now, you know, man, that if you get on an animal that's never been ridden before, you don't just get on that animal and say, okay, animal, go this way, and it goes, right? It doesn't listen. Listen, I've ridden a donkey before. I, I, I rode a donkey in Haiti. Oh, there it is. Look at that. Where did y'all find that picture at? <laughs> listen, that was one of the scariest moments in my life, right? And that donkey, that donkey was trained, okay? I get on that thing. And that thing takes off, and I, I was like, I thought I'm going to have to jump off this donkey, right? <laughs> this is just going to kill me. But, but listen, you know, man, that, that you have no control over that animal. But here we have Jesus on this colt, and he just rides it. He just, he just says, go, you know, and the donkey, the donkey listens. Why so calm? It's because the colt knows he's under the control of the one who created him. Right? He's under the control of the one who calmed the sea. He's under his control. And because Jesus is in complete control, we can trust him. Amen? He will not oppress you. He will not crush you. Listen, Jesus is our redeemer. He's the only king that died for your sins. Nothing else that you've crowned in your life will die for your sins. Do you understand that? Your work won't die for your sins. Your relationships won't die for your sins. Nothing else will. King Jesus is all you need for everlasting joy. Not happiness but joy. Now, will it still be tough when we lose that job? Absolutely. Will, will it still be tough when we lose that relationship? Yes, you can bet it will be. But see, we, we understand that it's not the end of the world because Jesus is in control. 
and our joy rests in Him, right? Our joy rests in Him knowing that, that he, is, he loves us. He's pleased with us no matter what. And we're going to spend eternity with Him. So we must learn to worship King Jesus, just not, not just publicly like this, like we're doing today, but privately. Right? In our, in our devotional life, in our prayer life, we need to learn to worship Him in those areas. Right? Romans 12, 2 says we are to offer our bodies as living sacrifices. So that's the first way we treat Jesus as King is we, we learn to worship Him. Secondly, finally, we make Jesus King of our life through obedience. Obedience. Listen, obedience is the natural response to when we worship King Jesus. Right? Uh, the more our hearts and minds are shaped by the gospel of Jesus Christ and what he has done for us, our desire will be obedience. Do you realize that? Right? Our motivation for obedience, listen to me very carefully, okay? Our motivation for obedience is not to gain God's favor and acceptance. Do you, do you understand that? Right? It's, it's not, it's not to, to get God's approval. Okay? Our motivation for obedience is not just some outward change of behavior. Okay, if that's the case, then it's just legalism. See, we are already loved and accepted by God through Jesus Christ. And when you realize that, when the gospel, that's the gospel, that's the good news, when, that, when, that, when you realize how much God loves you, that he loves you first, that, that changes you. Right? That leads you to obedience. Obedience, it's, it's not obey and then God will love me. It's God loves me, therefore I obey. You see the difference? And it leads us to, to obedience. That's what changed. The gospel targets the heart. That's what it's about. But I want you to notice that when the disciples found the donkey and untie it, the owner asked, he says, why are you untying my donkey? And they replied, the Lord needs it. Right? There's no explanation there. Right? The, the owner doesn't say, well, wait a minute, man. What, what's going on here? Why does Jesus need my donkey? He doesn't say, let me call Jesus up on my cell phone. Let me ask what's going on here, right? There's no explanation. It's just, hey, okay, that's good, right? And that's a picture of obedience right there. And listen, if you have kids, you know this all too well, man, that whenever you ask your kid to do something, the first question out of their mouth is, why? Why? You know, and my response is, because what is it? Because I'm 39 and you're five. Right? I'm 39 and you're 5, and I know. I just know better, right? Well, listen, what we've tried to do, and I emphasize the word try. Okay? This is, this is, we try to teach our kids to listen and obey the first time because it could save their life. Literally, it could save their life. Like, if we see a tree that is falling down and Jude is in the path of that tree, and we say, Jude, move, and he says, why? It's not going to go well for Jude, is it? Yeah, it's, just, it's not going to go well for him, right? And so, so, so we, we, we say, man, you just need to move, okay? It's okay to ask why while you are obeying. Does that make sense? Like, do it while you are obeying. Like, if Jude was the, if we said, move, Jude, and he started walking and said, why? Oh, okay, that's why, because the tree was about to kill me, right? So, so, so it's okay to ask, but do it while you are obeying. Not as a condition of your obedience. You don't ask why. Okay, I think I'll do that, so I'll obey, right? And if Jesus is going to be king of your life, you have to obey him unconditionally. We have to obey him even when it doesn't make sense. Or else he's not your king. 
So what is our response to King Jesus? See, you, you can't just, Jesus can't just be our Savior and not our Lord. Right? He can't, Jesus can't just come in and be our shepherd and, and be our comforter and be our, our Savior, but, but stay out of our Lord. He's both. We, we can't say, okay, Jesus, I'll give you this part of my life, but I'm going to hold on to this part of my life. He wants all of it. This is, this is why the Pharisees were so upset that day. Listen, this is, this, is, this is why the crowd turned on Jesus later in the week. Because Jesus comes into Jerusalem that day, and what he's doing is he is forcing their hand. He's forcing their hand. By coming in publicly on a donkey, he was saying to them, either crown me as king of your life or kill me. And they killed him. See, we've all crowned something. And I, I don't know what it is for you. Maybe I, didn't, maybe I didn't touch on it. We could be here all day talking about the things we crown. But I, I just want to be honest with you, man. Whatever you're crowning, it's, it's crushing you. It will crush you. Jesus is the only one who will not oppress you. And there are crowns in your seats or laying around you. And I'm just going to ask you that as we respond during this next song, if you would, man, if you, if you know that there's something that you've crowned in your life besides King Jesus, would you bring this crown and set it up here by the cross? And if you need prayer, man, I'm going to ask the prayer team, if you would, come out, some of you over here. Most of you over here probably. If you need prayer, man, they would love to pray with you. I know what it is in my life. I know what I have crowned king and what I struggle with and what I need to let go of and allow the gospel to take root and change in my life. I know what it is. Do you know what it is? Let's pray, and then we're going to sing, and I'm asking you to respond. Father God, we just thank you so much. We thank you for your word. We thank you for stories like this, God, where we can just see that, that Jesus is the true king. May he is worthy of our praise, our honor. God, you are so good. You are so great. Glorious. We just thank you so much for loving us. Father, I just pray now that as we respond, God, I don't, I don't know what everybody's doing with you. I don't know what we've crowned as king in our life, God, but we all crowned something. God, we need, we need to, to, to give it over to you. I pray, Father, that we would do that today. In Jesus' name, amen. Things that we thought were 
Uh, man, just so you know, this is not... When, when, I, when I talk about laying our crowns down, whatever we've crowned in our life, this is not just a one-time thing. I, I just want you to make sure you understand.